Today we're excited to bring you a rebroadcast of one of our favorite episodes. It's from a two-part series where we take a look at Jesus' prophecies from the Mount of Olives. Whether you're hearing today's program for the first time or you're a faithful listener, we're sure you'll enjoy hearing the great truths in this episode once more. This is the Friends of Israel Today, where we teach biblical truth for changing times. I'm Steve Conover. We'll join our host and Bible teacher, Chris Gatolka, in a moment. Let me remind you at the start to visit us at foiradio.org. You can listen to past episodes, view show notes, and learn more about our ministry there. Again, that's foiradio.org. Jesus, near the end of his earthly ministry, prophesied about the end times. Chris looks at what Jesus had to say about the first part of the coming tribulation period. Have you ever heard the claim that Hitler was a Christian? As absurd as that question sounds, we unfortunately have to deal with that perception sometimes. You may even have a friend or a loved one that has made that claim. After you hear our short segment, you'll have a better understanding of how to answer that perception. And later, apples of gold, stay with us. Hello everyone, and thanks for joining us on our program. Today, I wanted to start a new series called The Jesus Prophecies. And I decided to call it The Jesus Prophecies because I want us to look at the prophetic words of Jesus from his earthly ministry. And these words come from Matthew chapters 24 and 25, from Mark chapter 13, and from Luke chapter 21. These prophetic words that are spoken by Jesus uh, were uh, really made and spoken uh, not too long before his betrayal, before his trial and his execution on the cross. Uh, So they were definitely spoken towards the end of his life on earth. So what begins the Jesus prophecies in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is really interesting. It's just a natural conversation that the disciples are having with Jesus. And I want you to imagine the disciples and Jesus are just simply walking on the Mount of Olives. And if you've never been to Israel before or to Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives gives you just this perfect view of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem where the Jewish temple stood. You can see almost every angle of the Temple Mount from the vantage point of the Mount of Olives. And in what seems like a natural conversation, the disciples are in awe of the temple. That's, this is the conversation. Most Jewish people were in awe of the temple at that time. Uh, The temple that they were looking at was the temple that Herod, Herod the Great, renovated and refurbished for the Jewish people. It got a serious facelift. Uh, To give you an idea of how big and magnificent the temple was in this little city of Jerusalem in the scope of the Roman Empire, it would have been like building, think about this, it would have been like building one of the largest skyscrapers in the world in Cheyenne, Wyoming. You'd have to see it to believe it, that kind of thing. It It would attract attention just for simply being this massive structure in a very low population uh, city. Uh, So the disciples were simply talking up the amazing feat of Herod's engineering and and this temple. It, It was overwhelming. Jesus 
looks over at this temple and says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 2, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, listen, the disciples being incredibly well-versed Jewish people, well-versed in their culture, well-versed in Israelite history and in Judaism, would have known exactly what Jesus was saying when Jesus said that the temple would not have one stone left upon another. They knew that Jesus was saying that the destruction of the temple in both the Old Testament and here in the New Testament means judgment is coming. That's what they knew. God is going to judge the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. That is exactly what the disciples knew, and it's the reason that the disciples never questioned Jesus. They never looked at Jesus and said, "What are you serious? You're it's going to be destroyed?" They never they never questioned why it would be destroyed. They knew that judgment was coming, and so really the natural question that comes out isn't why is the temple destroyed? The the, the question that comes is really this that's seen in in the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. But in line with Jesus' prophetic teaching, the disciples say, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. The disciples know exactly what Jesus is alluding to when he pronounced the destruction of Herod's temple. And it's this, judgment is imminent. It's imminent. It's coming. Now, to answer the disciples' question, Jesus first sets up the events that will lead to the end. That's what Jesus calls it, the end. Now, let me say this. I believe that Jesus' prophetic message is geared toward a Jewish audience, not the church. To begin, the church hasn't even been established yet. That that doesn't come until Acts chapter 2. But even more so, I believe the church isn't present during this time of great trouble, which is often referred to as the tribulation or even the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, If you notice in Jeremiah, Jeremiah calls the tribulation Jacob's trouble. And remember, Jacob is Israel. Jesus marks the beginning of the tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble saying, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but then the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pangs. So, Here we are in the beginning. We're in this thing called the first half of the tribulation. This is the first three and a half years of a seven-year tribulation period. And what Jesus is saying is that there's going to be many false messiahs and false Christs that will use fear and deception to deceive the Jewish people into believing that they are the true messiah. 
And Jesus wants to open up with this to make sure that his people will remain watchful during this time and not lose sight that he is the true Messiah. But that during that time, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom will rise against kingdom and there will be famine and earthquakes. So there will be a great shaking that happens on earth, both from a political standpoint, as kingdom rises against kingdom and, and nation against nation, and also from a physical standpoint with, with God's creation. There will be earthquakes and suffering and starvation on earth. Those Jewish people who believe in Jesus during this time will suffer greatly during the tribulation, especially leading into the second half. But next week, We'll look into more details of what the second half of the tribulation holds according to Matthew chapter 24. You know, when Jesus was prophesying about wars and rumors of wars, that nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom, he says this, See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. All these are the beginning of the birth pains, as the English Standard Version puts it so nicely, birth pains. Now, listen, (laughs) I've never given birth before, so I can't describe the pain personally. So whatever I say will never convey a true feeling of what it means to give birth. But I have been blessed to watch all three of my kids come into this world. Birth pains are traumatic, agonizing moments of pain, pressure, and pushing. It's not a walk in the park. It's hard and it's daunting. And for some, the idea of giving birth is very scary and incredibly fearful. But then all of a sudden, after all the pain, pressure, and pushing, Within a second, all of that anxiety becomes joy on the other side when you hold your child in your arms. You know, as my wife told me, she would endure the nine months of pregnancy, contractions, false contractions, and the pain of childbirth all over again just to experience that joy of that miraculous moment. And that's exactly the way Jesus describes this terrible time in human history when nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, when the earth will experience earthquakes and famine, and even when his own people who follow and love him will face a a persecution that could even lead to death. He says this, don't be troubled. As Jesus shares about this tribulation, this time of suffering, He will remind his people that it won't last forever and that within a second, everything changes. Remember something about these Jesus prophecies as we're going through them. All of these prophecies are pushing us to his second coming. That will be that glorious moment in human history when Jesus Christ will return. But before that moment, that that great and glorious moment, the world will experience incredible pain called the tribulation, incredible suffering, 
Now, next week, we'll look at the second half of the tribulation as we longingly await his return. And we all pray, come Lord Jesus. In the news, Christianity is increasingly under attack, and the tiny democracy of Israel is demonized. But no matter what happens in this world, of this we can be certain. Israel will endure. God has promised it. And in Dr. Elwood McQuaid's book, For the Love of Zion, you'll see the light of God's eternal word shine on the political and historical events of the Middle East. Discover the broad scope of controversies that lie behind the headlines. You'll see the real issues that are seldom clarified in the struggle between Israel and its enemies. This book, For the Love of Zion, will help you see clearly where history is taking us. Order your copy of Dr. Elwood McQuaid's book, For the Love of Zion, when you visit foiradio.org. Again, that's foiradio.org. Today on our short segment, we're going to answer a question from the website. Now, this question is really a deep question concerning the Holocaust. And when I read the question, it really kind of makes you step back and think a little bit. Think think about uh, the significance of, of what all of this means. And the question that came in online is this. Do Jewish people think Hitler and the Nazis were Christians? Now, this question is a question that we really have to wrestle with because the answer is that bad doctrine within Christianity influenced Hitler and the Nazis. And yes, Hitler does have a Christian background. And yes, the Nazis and the Germans during Hitler's control were still going to church. We're going to talk all about that. So before we get started, I want you to listen to a quote from Mein Kampf, which is Hitler's autobiographical manifesto. And listen to what this quote says. By defending myself against the Jews. Did you hear that? By defending myself against the Jew, I am fighting for the work of the Lord. Wow. That that right there should really uh, make us stand up and listen to what's going on here. Because here... Uh, Hitler is connecting his mission to get rid of the Jewish people, and he's connecting it with with the Lord. And so Hitler was definitely influenced in many ways by his Catholic upbringing. He was raised by a father who didn't really care much about the church, but a mother that was a practicing Catholic. And, And as Hitler was entering into his teenage years, he really didn't care much for Christianity and actually was wanting to be the impetus for ridding Christianity from Germany altogether. Uh, But as Hitler was coming into power, the church was way too powerful for him to take over. Uh, And in his early struggles to kind of gain notoriety in German politics, uh, he kind of had to, to bow to the church. So instead of pushing it aside... He used it to his own benefit, and he used Christianity to help advance his agenda to win votes uh, with the Germans. 
And so he would use phrases like this. He called Christianity the foundation of German morality. And these little statements were enough to ease the fears of German voters, but really deep down, Hitler was a full-blown social Darwinist at this time. So even though uh, in the mid-late 30s, less than 1% of the German population were Jewish, uh, which means there was a very small Jewish population, uh, I'm sure many of the Jewish people that lived there associated Hitler with Christianity in some way. Now, A vast majority of Germans and Austrians during the rule of Hitler and his Third Reich continued to go to church. 54% of Germans and Austrians under Hitler's control considered themselves Protestant, and 40% said they were Catholic. Now, even though Hitler had a plan to eradicate Christianity or at least to subjugate it, when a Jewish person at that time sees their German neighbors doing nothing about the injustice that was happening to them uh, and still going to church on Sunday, I'm sure it was easy for them to think Hitler and the Nazis are Christians. And folks, let's not forget about Pope Pius XII. Uh, When it came to the Holocaust, he really remained silent about the whole thing. It's actually an incredible controversial issue. Now, there are signs that Pope Pius tried to help. He sheltered a few Jewish people, But in public, he remained incredibly neutral and disconnected uh, from what was happening to the Jewish people. So to answer your question, yes, I do believe Jewish people think in some way Hitler and the Nazis were Christians. But at the Friends of Israel, we want to change the Jewish perception of Christianity. We want Jewish people to see that we are Christians like pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who would boldly stand against the rising anti-Semitism under Nazi Germany and was actually put to death for it. We want Jewish people to see that we are like Corey ten Boom, a Dutch Christian who hid Jewish people from the Nazis, knowing she could be arrested and put to death for it. You know, Jewish people have actually suffered a lot in the name of Christ throughout the church age which is why we must let our Jewish friends know that we are different, that we love them, and that we care for their well-being. You know, at the Friends of Israel, we actually have a school called the Institute of Jewish Studies, and one of our classes is on the Holocaust and anti-Semitism. This is an online class, so you can take the course yourself, and it doesn't matter where you live in the world. If you're interested in knowing more about IJS, the Institute of Jewish Studies, visit our website, foiradio.org. Israel, on the verge of becoming a state, a teenage Holocaust survivor arrives on her shores alone. His name is Svi Kalisher. Little did he know his search for a new life in the Holy Land would lead him to the Messiah. Svi, enthusiastic to share his faith, engaged others in spiritual conversations, many of which can be found in our magazine, Israel, My Glory. While Svi is now in the presence of his Savior, his collected writings from well over 50 years of ministry continue to encourage believers worldwide. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life of Svi. Most of the world is against God's chosen people, Israel. This nation occupies a very small piece of land Yet it is the subject of more news reports than any other nation. Throughout the Bible, God tells Israel not to fear. 
as the Lord protected us from Pharaoh in Egypt, so he will protect us from our present-day enemies. Now we are in a situation similar to when Pharaoh chased the Israelites to the Red Sea. We're surrounded by Arab nations whose favorite slogan is, Butcher the Jews! Cast them into the sea! But we must never repay them with hatred. We must show them the love of Christ. Often, I have the opportunity to speak with my Arab neighbors. Just as with the ultra-Orthodox Jews, we sometimes speak for many hours before we get around to the most important subject of all, faith in Christ. When I speak with Arabs, I must first draw them away from the blind hatred of Jewish people. And then we begin to speak about faith in Christ. They're usually interested in continuing our dialogue about Christ. Recently, my neighbors had with them a, a sheikh, one who knows the Koran. I spoke with him, and he began by asking, Where does the Torah say this land belongs to the Jews? Quickly, I showed him Genesis 13, verses 14 through 17, Genesis 15, 8, and Exodus 23, 31, where the Lord promised the land of Israel to Abraham, and his descendants forever. The sheikh immediately said, Oh, that cannot be. The Koran says it is not so. I replied, Ask your teachers when the Bible was written, and when the Koran was written. They will have to tell you honestly the Bible was written first. It is the authentic word of God. He asked, How can you, a Jew, speak about Christ? I replied, I believe because Christ is written about in the Jewish scriptures. As a good Jew, I must believe what is written there. I believe in the one who was pierced for our transgressions, as it is written in Isaiah 53, 5. By this time, more of my Arab neighbors had joined the group, and they seemed interested in what I was saying. I told them, Perhaps one day all of Arabs and Israelis will be able to come together and speak as we are doing now. As it is written in Isaiah 11.6, one day, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. But this prophecy can only be fulfilled once we all believe in Christ, the only one who can enable people to put aside their differences in hatred and love and serve one another through him, Jesus commanded, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I pray we will soon see a great harvest among the Arabs, as well as among the Jewish people here in his holy land. The dramatic reading you just heard is taken from a feature you can read in our bi-monthly magazine, Israel, My Glory. 
If you enjoy Apples of Gold, be sure to sign up for a free trial subscription when you visit foiradio.org. You'll get a full year, that's six issues, of our magazine. You can also write to us at FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Again, that's FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Request your free subscription to the newly redesigned Israel My Glory magazine. Next week, Chris continues teaching from the book of Matthew as we focus on the words of Jesus concerning the future tribulation. Join us then. Our host and teacher is Chris Gatolka. Our associate producer and engineer is Tom Gallione. Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.